Good morning and welcome to Visionaries. I'm John LaBelle, your host, and you'll find us here on the Progressive Radio Network at prn.fm every Monday at 10 a.m. That's 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Might be different your part of the world. And guess what? We have a new app. So... I've been listening to PRN regularly on my phone. I plug it into my car radio, and I just um, go to my web browser and put in PRN.FM. But now you can download our app, and not only can you hear what's live currently, but one by one we're putting all our back shows on the app, so you'll be able to get them as well. And you can also download Podbean's app which I do, and then you can get uh, the back shows that are on there. So you can catch all of Visionary back shows at Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot Vision, I'm sorry, visionaries.podbean.com and other PRN shows and other shows on Podbean. So I want to pick up today on where I was last week. And uh, I'm a sort of a reader, <laughs> Uh, my bed is now my office um, in my crowded apartment, but I've got books piled everywhere. But I, you know, when I have the choice of do I read a chapter of a book or a magazine or watch a rerun of Big Bang Theory, uh, more often a rerun of Big Bang Theory wins out. But I've got dozens or even hundreds of books uh, on audio and. Uh, systematically listen to them on my phone. So I thought I'd go through some of those books. I went to audible.com, which is a service I use, and <clears throat> printed out my library. And I thought I'd run through it. And, you know, I'm always looking for book recommendations. Any good books out there? Call us. <laughs> 888. No, yeah, call in. 888 874 So I look at the uh, Wall Street Journal cultural section on Saturday. I look at the New York Times book review. And, of course, these days we get our best—I do anyway—get my best recommendations from people I follow on Twitter and stuff like that. You know, occasionally on Facebook. But what I've done on Twitter is— Take all the people I find interesting. Some you've heard on this show. So I've interviewed um, uh, Virginia Postrel. I've interviewed a whole bunch of people. And I then I follow all of them. And they occasionally recommend books. So it's one way to pick up on your interest, whatever that might be. I'm going to go through some of my recommendations. I'll give you an idea what my interests are. So, last week, I mentioned uh, Know-It-Alls. I've only just started that. It's about, it's about the, the current dominant companies in Silicon Valley, uh, Google, Facebook, etc. And the author, Noam Cohen, 
doesn't like uh, not just their politics. He doesn't like the way these technologies reorganize our culture. So I'm a McLuhanist, <laughs> and we've done a couple of shows on McLuhan, look them up, give you a good overview summary. And I agree that these technologies change our behavior, change the way our brains work. But I don't agree with his take on it. So I'll talk more about that after I finish the book. Uh, Jason Lanier's Dawn of the New Everything. And Lanier's a pioneer in virtual reality. Um, so he talks about that. And then I'm in the middle of Daniel Dennett's Darwin's Dangerous Ideas. That's a long one, 27 hours. And it's about the... Um, philosophical application of the principles of evolution to uh, science and culture more broadly. And again, I don't know how much I agree with him. We'll have to keep going. Quantum Labyrinth. I just heard uh, Paul Halperin, the author, he was on last night, a repeat on C-SPAN Books uh, about his book, The Quantum Labyrinth, it's about Richard Feynman and John Wheeler and their relationship and their contributions to physics. Um, uh, Donna Brazil's Hacks, the inside story of the break-ins and breakdowns that put Donald Trump in the White House. So lots of books on that. I haven't really been following those books, but Donna Brazil is such a cool character. And this book is, um, everybody talks about the politics of it and I'm more interested in her take on the hacking, which is a really mind-blowing story that, other, that, that most re discussions of the book don't go into. And then I talked about Life 3.0, hoping to have Max Tegmark, the author, on in an upcoming show. And it's about where we stand now in artificial intelligence. Actually, huge story, front page of the business section of today's New York Times on uh, new new generations of chips. So there's been a real breakthrough just in the past, say, year in artificial intelligence. It's been there <laughs> in 1962. One of my roommates uh, at University of Pennsylvania had a big house. We had about five people living in it. Uh, you know, it was well. It's not that big, but it was a, a four, three or four story. I don't know, three, maybe four story little uh, townhouse near campus. Perfect location it was just you know uh, a block and a half from the architecture school, so uh, which I was studying. But one of my roommates was studying artificial intelligence, and you know, I, I remember at the time I had heard of it. And uh, wasn't too impressed with how bright my that roommate was. But anyway, so it goes way back. And what happened? Well, what happened was that <clears throat> uh, way back, and we'll talk about this if we can get uh, Max Tegmark on the show. But way back, there was a sort of uh, rivalry between neural nets, which is layers of interrelationships of circuitry that in some ways mimic the human brain and 
um, rule-based artificial intelligence. And uh, very famously, the rule-based went out, neural nets were forgotten, and in fact, the neural nets couldn't do anything. Uh, so the, you know, the world made the right decision. But turns out that they can be layered. And you can find a uh, discussion of this by Ray Kurzweil on YouTube, where he uh, was basically using neural nets. And it's basically what he's describing in his book, How to Create a Mind. And which they're doing <laughs> at Google. He was doing, and now they're doing at Google. And what the point he made was that before, you know, well, neural nets couldn't even uh, discern the difference between a picture between a dog and a cat, much less a, the boundary between, you know, a square and its surrounding. And uh Kurzweil points out that it's uh, only it all can only make that distinction between a dog and a cat when you get to the fifteenth layer of the neural net. Well, they're able to make these multiple layers now, and it turns out that you can emulate anything, including a neural net, with a conventional computer. But it's not necessarily the most efficient way to do it, and more efficiently is to directly build the neural net rather than emulating it, and it turns out that the graphics processor in a computer is much better able to do that than is the CPU. And you might notice that our CPUs haven't been doing very much for the past five or six years. And years ago, maybe 10 years ago, uh, CPUs were up to four gigahertz, and now they're back to about two and a half. And what they've done is... Uh, really not improve the CPU that much, but put more and more CPUs on the same chip. So you uh, all, almost all CPUs are at least two core, um, they're mostly moving to four core, and a high-end Intel chip has 6, 12, or 18 cores. So it's basically not that much improved CPU, but 18 of them on one chip. And they can do parallel computing and talk to each other so that you can get more performance out of it, but not more speed. They're typically two and a half uh, gigahertz. And uh, the problem with the four gigahertz chips is that under high demand, they melted. <laughs> they just can't get the heat out of, uh, out of the chip uh, fast enough to handle that much processing. But... Our graphics chips have been progressing, and so if you get a uh, uh, project I'm working on is now going into virtual reality, and we've uh, the computer we have is four thousand dollars. Well, that's a lot of money for a um, for uh, a computer these days because you can get a lot of computer for two thousand dollars, but. <laughs> To do the high-end, at the moment high-end, it's going to get much more sophisticated. A virtual reality with the goggles and you're, <laughs> you're floating through the Grand Canyon, uh, you need a lot of graphics uh, capability. And these uh, computers people use for them these days will tend to have um, the highest-end possible graphics processor, and maybe even two of them. 
So uh, it turns out that these the kind of computing a graphics processor does is much more applicable to these artificial intelligence demands. So there's dozens of new companies springing up to develop this next generation processors. So just a couple of years ago, nobody could compete with Intel in uh, CPUs. Um, you know, if they needed to throw two, three, four, five, ten billion dollars at the next generation chip, they could. They had they're big enough to have the resources to do that, and no startup can compete with that. Uh, although the ARM chips uh, for smartphones you know, do compete with Intel. But now these uh, totally new companies are springing up and, you know, maybe Intel will buy the best of them and remain dominant, but there is a new generation coming. So if you're into this, uh, go online to the New York Times business section. It's the lead story. Or if they still exist anywhere, <laughs> pick one up on the newsstand. Uh, uh, I just got halfway through the story this morning. I'll finish it later. Anyway, um, go on with my list. And next on my list is how to read literature like a professor. And <clears throat> I'm into that kind of book, you know. How does writing—I'm like a lot of people. If you're on the West Coast, everybody has a screenplay on their laptop, right? Movie screenplay. If you're on the East Coast, I'm one of those people that has a novel on my laptop. I've been working on it for, I don't know, maybe 15 years. <laughs> Every once in a while, I get back to it. Um, the the bad the, the the bad guy had been. Uh, uh, a Vietnam War vet in my, you know, had access to stuff due to his high-ranking position in the mil in the in intelligence during the Vietnam War. Well, that's you know anybody like that would be too old now. So then it became the Gulf Storm, and then it became the Gulf War, and then it became Afghanistan. So I have to keep updating uh, my book. <laughs> and then my uh, lead protagonist, the good guy protagonist, she lived, in, uh, she lived in the East Village. So then I had to move that to Williamsburg, Brooklyn, <laughs> to continue to be trendy. But anyway... So I'm really interested in books on writing and usage and language. And, you know, there, there are books like uh, uh, Great First Sentences or Great First Paragraphs or you know, books on writing. And then there are books on usage. Most famous is Strunk and White. I don't think much of that. Uh, for that kind of book, Zinsner's On Writing Well, I think, is much better. But... The the best book now is a book by Pinker, psychologist who writes about everything, about language, about the mind, about culture. And he has a book, The Sense of Style. And he talks about how sentences are structured. And I started the book on audio, and it doesn't work on audio because you need to see the diagrams of the sentences 
on the page that he's talking about. So you have to actually hold the book and read it, which is uh, what I, you know, what I get behind on. Actually, I had a, a great phone call from a colleague a couple of days ago who's on vacation out of the country. He called up and he said, I just started reading your book, Visionary Creativity. It's really great. So I appreciate the compliment. But he was apologetic that the book is about uh, three years old now. He hadn't gotten to it yet. So, But I don't, I don't blame him. I'm the same way. But uh, how to read literature like a professor? Symbolism. You know, when you're in, when you're reading a book in English class and the professor will say, why do you think the color red keeps coming up in the narrative? You know, what does it mean? What's the author communicating? So he talks about that kind of stuff. And so I recommend that one. He has another book, How to Read a Screen, a movie. And... So I haven't gotten to that one yet, but it's uh, on my list. And I have a website called Cinema Discourse, cinemadiscourse.com. Do it with a colleague, John David Ebert. And you've heard Ebert two or three times on the show. Again, go to visionaries.podbean.com. Catch my back shows with Ebert. And Ebert's the most literate person I know these days. He's read everything. And, you know, when something comes up, he gets all the books, puts them on the shelf, and then just reads them all. Uh, last time I did that was uh, just before, um, what's his name? Key literary figure, Lewis Mumford. So just before Lewis Mumford died, he did a kind of summing up memoir, not really an autobiography, but a memoir. And Smithsonian Magazine asked me to review it, but in so doing, to also sum up um, Lewis Mumford. And so I got all of Lewis Mumford's books, <laughs> which some of them are real monsters. And, you know, like The City and History. These are, you know, like 700-page books. And <clears throat> to put them on the shelf. And one of the few times I used the library at school, got all the books out and read through them all. So Ebert does that regularly. And uh, so he's uh, – anyway, I do this uh, movie website with him. And so I'm interested in this kind of thing. So highly recommended how to read literature like a professor and how to, uh, I don't know what he says. I forget the name of the book, but it's like how to read a movie like a professor. Thomas C. Foster. So I'm also trying to get him on the show, and we'll see how that goes. Um, and then uh, moving on with uh, down my list. So I printed it out, and how many pages do I have here? There's like 40 pages of these books. So there's a, well, we can do a couple of shows on this. So next is Revolutionary Wealth, How It Will Be Created and How It Will Change Our Lives. And this is by Alvin Toffler and Heidi Toffler. Okay, raise your hands. How many people know what's Toffler's most famous book? It's a book I confess I haven't read uh, because all you need to know is the title. And the title is Future Shock. came out in the 70s. And <clears throat> in it, he talked about how the rate of change is so extreme that we're all freaking out. 
And that was in the 70s when not much was happening. <laughs> yeah, but I think the big thing in the 70s is we were moving from black and white TV to color TV. I mean, color TV existed uh, since the since the 60s, but in the 70s, people actually started to get them. <laughs> so that was a big technological change he was freaked out about. And... It isn't until 1978 that we get the uh, uh, the Apple II computer, which is not the, but one of the first home computers. But anyway, a book I did read and used in my teaching quite regularly was his next book. Uh, what was that one? The Third Wave. And in it, he talked about how first wave was... We were hunter-gatherers, and the first wave was the agricultural revolution, second wave was the industrial revolution, and okay, now we're in another one. And he didn't want to name it, you know, the electronic revolution. I think a lot of people at the time were calling it the information age. And because he said, you know, it's uh, computers and information and biotech and et cetera. And it's all happening at once. And about that, he turned out to be right. I was, uh, I used the book of my teaching at the time. And I, actually to this day, I still use these books. And, you know, is, is, are we about to all, is everything going, what? Going to hell in a handbag. Uh, Is it all going to pot? Is everything uh, terrible? Is everything getting worse? And I assign two books to my students. One of them is Limits to Growth by Meadows and the Club of Rome. And the other one, which, and then the other one is The Next 200 Years by Herman Kahn. And both of these are from the 70s, Limits to Growth, the early 70s, and The Next 200 Years, 1976 by Herman Kahn. And one says, you know, we're running out of everything. We're going to be knee-deep in pollution. Everybody's going to starve. And the other one says, uh, we're on the you know, verge of this technological, pardon the word, utopia. Everything's going to be great. And the good thing about this is uh, both books are more than 30 years old. And so the students can really... You know, when it says this or that's going to happen in the next 10 years, my students can say, well, you know, 10 years, you know, did it happen or not? And so um, uh, the third wave is one of those books that we can really judge because we can see, you know, how much that it talks about did happen. And I think it's a really good book. I strongly recommend it. Not so much revolutionary wealth. it tries to talk too much about what's going on at the moment. And here's a book from just, you know, I don't know. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I think 10 years ago. And it doesn't talk about smartphones, which is the single most important thing going on. So you have to look out. I'm actually writing a book like this right at this very moment. And <clears throat> it's real trick because by the time I finish it and by the time somebody reads it, half of what I'm talking about will, you know, have been long, something else will have happened. And my book's going to avoid that by talking about the underlying core of what's going on. But I'll talk more about that book in the future. 
Um, and um, anyway, next book on my list, The Mind at Play, uh, by Claude Shannon. And Claude Shannon it developed modern information theory. So here he was, one of these figures who we now put together with Turing. And if you want to talk about the modern computer, we have Turing and we call our computers Turing machines. And they have von Neumann architecture. So Johnny von Neumann, who was a Hungarian true genius, um, and he was at the uh, Institute for Advanced Studies at Princeton with all those other geniuses. And one of the things they came up with is the modern computer. And they were building these things. It's really great really reading books about how they did this. They were building these things with vacuum tubes. And you'd have, you know, a thousand vacuum tubes and then it'd be making all this heat. And what do you do with the heat? And then the tubes would burn out and you have to go find them and replace them. It was a real headache. Uh, but Claude Shannon's information theory is also fundamental to the architecture of these computers and our understanding and uh, our transmission now through fiber optics and the whole digital world. He even invented the term bit and very much the concept. And the concept was in the paper called, uh, what is that, Mathematical Theory of Information, I think it is, around 1947, and I have a copy. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, he asks, what's the theoretical limit of the amount of information you can get through a channel? You have a pair of copper wires. How much information can you pump through those? And today it would be fiber optics. And, well, what is information? You know, is there more, if I type a bunch of random letters on a page, and then I take a page of Shakespeare, which one has more information? Well, what do we mean by information? And Shannon defines information as that which can be transmitted by bits, by ones and zeros. And how many ones and zeros does it take to encode the information on that page? Or how many ones and zeros can you get through your wire? And uh, one of his great realizations is that information has nothing to do with content. In other words, the ones and zeros could be encoding gibberish. They could be encoding Shakespeare. It's, a, it's the same amount of information in either case, or however much information it is actually shows there's probably more information in the page of uh, random typed uh, letters than there is in Shakespeare. So uh, Shannon is a wonderful figure, uh, tragically got Alzheimer's uh, uh, early on. I mean, not that early, but he, you know, he still should have done a lot more with his career and wasn't able to. But there hadn't been a really good biography of him. And uh, now we have one. So uh, highly recommend a Mind at Play, How Claude Shannon Invented the Information Age. Uh, next book on my list, um, oh, American Kingpin. Cool book. And this is by uh, Nick Bilton. 
And Nick Bilton writes these kinds of books about typically young men who do, you know, do something weird, make a huge amount of money, and do or do not get in trouble. And so American Kingpin, the epic hunt for the criminal mastermind behind the Silk Road. So I'm forgetting the guy's name, but this guy uh, is a kind of a, uh, well, I'll pick on, on... I'll name the group. Uh, they don't. Uh, they don't deserve any of the blame. But he was a, a radical libertarian, and he felt the government had no business uh, regulate, you know, outlawing drugs or uh, whatever. So a real, you know, radical individual freedom type. And one thing led to another, and he discovered there was this thing, the dark net, and. By Darknet, it's that part of the Internet which you don't find when you do a Google search. And um, uh, so he, at the same time, discovered Bitcoin. And so it turns out you could buy drugs on the Darknet with Bitcoin. A Bitcoin, we'll be talking about that in the future, but it allows you to do things anonymously. And the dark net allowed you to do things anonymously. So put that together and you, uh, uh, you could buy and sell drugs on the Internet. So he discovered that he could um, um, uh, build a monster company. So I'll talk more about it in a minute. Let's take a break and we'll... Uh, Here are a few promos for other shows. This is John LaBelle. This is Visionaries, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Progressive Radio Network, the number one network for those who care about the truth. Are you interested in growing a greener future? Do you enjoy healthy, nutritious food? Would you like to learn how to grow your own organic oasis in an easy and efficient way? I'm Jackie Marie Beyer, the humble host of the Organic Gardener podcast, where I talk with amazing guests who are all using sustainable, earth-friendly practices. I interview backyard gardeners, market farmers, and people who have green businesses related to food. I'd love it if you'd join us on the Progressive Radio Network, coming on Monday evenings at 7 p.m. Cordelia Gaffar. I'm the founder of Workout Around My Day and the Stressless Mom of Six. I have started the new Replenish Me radio show to help moms to have strategies to get through their day and to renew themselves throughout the day with little small self-care tips. And I'll be having interviews with self-love coaches, wellness coaches, just to help you. So join me Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and Replenish You. FM for more empowering ideas from progressive voices. We're moving forward and we hope you're coming with us. 
Hello, this is Dane Wigington, host for the weekly Global Alert News Hour from GeoengineeringWatch.org. I'm grateful and honored to now be a part of the PRN Radio Network lineup. Every Saturday at 2 p.m. on the Global Alert News Hour, I'll cover the most dire frontline issues and stories which pose the greatest and most immediate threat to us all and to the biosphere on which we depend to support the web of life. I'll stitch these stories together to form a coherent picture of what's unfolding and why, and what each of us can do to help alter the human race's current course of genocide and ecocide. Join me on the show every Saturday at 2 p.m. for a crystal clear look at the ominous horizon that lies before us. You are listening to PRN.FM, the Progressive Radio Network. I'm Glenn Ford. And I'm Nellie Bailey. Every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, we bring you Black Agenda Radio here on the Progressive Radio Network. It's produced by the team at BlackAgendaReport.com, the cutting-edge publication for news, commentary, and analysis from the Black Left. So check out our view of the world and explore our rich archives on PRN.FM, the Progressive Radio Network. Work is moving forward. And we hope you're coming with us. You're listening to PRN, the Progressive Radio Network. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and I'm the host of What Women Must Know, every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. As a naturopathic doctor and psychotherapist, I am always seeking the latest solutions to help you rejuvenate and regenerate your body, mind, and spirit. So join me, Dr. Cheryl, and my inspiring guests, authors, health practitioners, and wise elders to empower yourself by expanding your knowledge about your health and your hormones and to gain fresh new perspectives on life. That's What Women Must Know every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. You're listening to PRN, number one for progressive minds. dose of happy each morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on PRN. LOA Today is expanding to appear on PRN now five mornings per week, Monday through Friday. I'm Walt Keeson, the host of LOA Today. The way you start your day sets the tone for the rest of the day, so start it happy. We explore the realm of positive psychology, the law of attraction, and the power of positive thinking, and we have a heck of a lot of fun in the process. You'll find yourself smiling each morning. That's LOA Today, weekday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time here on PRN. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. Hi there, John LaBelle. We're back on the air. This is Visionaries. And I'm going through a uh, book list 
And hopefully you'll get some good recommendations from here. And uh, email me any of yours or call in. Our call in is 888-874-4888. And John Lobel, J-O-H-N-L-O-B as in boy, E-L-L, at Mac, M-A-C dot com for uh, any of your thoughts for me to mention. Anyway, I was in the middle of American Kingpin, and it's about how this guy built this uh, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars in uh, in wealth, anyway, millions, uh, with this online drugstore. And <laughs> they just send it through the mail because they can't, you know, the mail can't uh, uh, open every package. And uh, eventually he gets uh, arrested and is doing, I think, 600 years in jail. And uh, the government was kind of teed off. But um, they say the book ends by saying that today's online drug comp- uh, sellers are like 10 and 100 times bigger than he was. Um, let's see. What else do I have on here? Oh, I've got the Pentagon's Brain, an uncensored history of DARPA, America's top secret military research agency. And DARPA is famous for being credited for developing the Internet. I don't agree with that assessment, but DARPA has done all kinds of cool stuff. And they're the ones that are responsible for, you know, what would be far out, you know, like... What if we had an anti-gravity machine, you know, or laser weapons or whatever? They're supposed to do the research on that far-out stuff that may not yet be quite practical. Um, What do I got? Uh, Some of these are not pertinent to what I'm thinking about right now, but... um, Writing great fiction, storytelling tips and techniques. Oh, the great courses, yeah. So I'm a big fan of the great courses. It used to be called the Teaching Company. And you see their ads in, uh, you know, these huge full-page ads in magazines all the time. And they have courses on everything, you know, from cooking to science to history to art and the ones on art obviously you need uh, to get on video uh but i i haven't done that i've gotten the ones on that work on audio and they have a series on music that are just incredible they have really great ones on science and this one is on on writing And it's sort of done the way a creative writing course might be done. It was pretty good, so I recommend it. And it's easier to buy their stuff now. Uh, They had a kind of weird way of selling things. The courses were very expensive, you know, like $300. But then they'd be on sale for $60. But but only certain ones were on sale. So you had to wait till the one you were interested in came around. And then you downloaded it in... Uh, multiple parts, and it was all a bit uh, involved. But now you can get them on Amazon, and they're on the sale price all the time. So uh, I strongly recommend them. Uh, To Be a Machine, 
adventures along cyborgs, utopians, hackers, and the futurists solving the modest problem of death. Well, uh, the, uh, I'll be doing shows about it at some point or other, but I'm director of research for a project called Timeship, and you'll find us at Timeship. That's like spaceship, but timeship, one word, dot org. And it's all about us there, but it's a next-generation cryonics facility, and so we're developing the new technologies for next generation for how this is going to be done, and the um, as a result, I go to conferences, I'm in touch with people in the field, and every once in a while it's fun to get caught up on stuff I might even be familiar with, but the idea is that the moment you die, uh, the team jumps in and starts a whole bunch of uh, medical procedures and <clears throat> freezes you. Well, we're not supposed to use the word freeze because freezing causes crystals and that's damaging and bad. So vitrify, which is bringing to a cold temperature without the ice crystals. But anyway, there are several different groups doing this. We're working on some advanced technologies for it. And there are other people interested in this idea of immortality. And, yeah, like, why do we die? So we're not the first to think about that. Uh, there's a quote that the cryonicists like to uh, quote from Benjamin Franklin, where he says, you know, you know, maybe I could be preserved in a cast of Moderna wine to be revived and continue my great discussions with my great friends sometime in the distant future. And, well, today we don't use wine, we use freezing, but, you know, he was already thinking about that. So, oh, speaking of books, I just started, I'm not going to talk much about it because I'm, you know, just uh, less than an hour into it. Walter Isaacson's new book on Leonardo da Vinci. So I grew up with uh, Leonardo da Vinci's notebooks and two big handsome volumes in my parents' house. And I managed not to read it, even though it had his writing and translation, <clears throat> but to look at the great pictures, you know, of anatomy and war machines and flying machines and all that. So, but who exactly was Leonardo da Vinci? And, yeah, you know, I know a little bit about him because I study history of art. And he very famously couldn't finish a lot of his uh, his paintings. He just couldn't get stuff done, you know. He always wanted to start something new. But what was he really like as a person? So I'm in the midst of reading that. And Walter Isaacson did the biography of uh, Einstein that uh, was just a few years back. I finished a little while ago. And then next, uh, uh, speaking of Ben Franklin, he's one of Ben Franklin's. So he's a great resource. So I'll talk more about what he has to say about Leonardo da Vinci when uh, I've read more of it. But anyway, uh, to be a machine... Uh, looks at all the people who are questioning, wait a minute, why, 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 why do we age? Why do we get old? I mean, we die because we get old, uh, unless we have an accident or a disease. 
but we're getting accidents and diseases under control. And the main cause of death now is old age. Um, well, what's causing it? Let's find the gene that causes old age and turn it off. <laughs> so um, to be a machine is uh, the author goes around. And I think it's a bit sarcastic about some of these people. I don't mind that. I think it helps. But um, um, anyway, it sort of covers what's going on in cryonics and related fields. There are other approaches. Um, The idea with cryonics and one of the related fields is plasticizing the brain. So take the brain immediately at at death and preserve it in uh, something that's going to sort of convert it to a plastic material that will not deteriorate. And then at some point in the future when they can do stuff they can't do today is the hope. They'll scan that plasticized brain or maybe scan your frozen brain if you went the cryonics way and then recreate it maybe in computer circuitry and then you'd be immortal. But the the, the last thing, the people who are... Um, cryonically frozen, and just roughly this, uh, very rough numbers, there's maybe 400 people frozen in the world today, and 4,000 people signed up to be frozen. And um, I go to conferences where there's a lot of those people, where they're all wearing a bracelet. Bracelet says, in case of death, pack head in ice and call this 800 number. (laughs) And the team will come as quickly as it can um, to do the cryopreservation. But anyway, so you're 80 years old, you die from cancer, you get frozen, uh, and then they, let's say it really works. Okay, they bring you back. Now what? You're 80 years old, you're going to die in five years of old age anyway. So the idea is no. They clone you a new body and put your brain in there. and Or they download your brain into uh, a robot or a computer chip or whatever. And now you don't age anymore. So you don't want to go through all this unless you uh, can live for at least a few hundred years once they bring you back. So these are the people thinking about that. This author um, you know, goes through them, interviews them, etc., Next on here in my list is Paul Johnson's Intellectuals. And um, it's kind of a nasty book, uh, attacking people like Rousseau and Voltaire, etc. You know, that they had these, um, oh, shall we say, visions for uh, utopian liberal futures but uh, were personally very, very nasty in their personal lives. So it's a very gossipy book, but, you know, it's all true, and we got to take it into account. So I, uh, I take it in small doses. I'm only about a quarter of the way into the book, but um, it's um, um, one that uh, I would recommend. So let's take another break and— uh, uh, we'll be back to wrap up with a few more books. This is John Lobel with Visionaries. Mm-hmm. 
This is PRN, Progressive Radio Network, your voice for independent views. Hello, everyone. I'm Bhavani Jaroff, natural food chef and owner of I Eat Green, a company dedicated to connecting the dots between the foods we eat, how they are grown, how they impact our environment, and how they affect our health. We celebrate the pleasures around the table and work to build a sustainable food movement of like-minded people. I'd like to invite you to join my show, I Eat Green with Bhavani, every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, where I share my recipe of the week, discuss food and environmental policies that affect us all, and interview a leader in the fields of food, health, or the environment. Together, we can work to build a sustainable food movement, one bite at a time. Remember, my show is every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. I hope you can join us. Stay tuned for the best information on health and nutrition, current events, economics, the environment, and more on PRN, the Progressive Radio Network. Activist Radio on the Progressive Radio Network is a weekly program for all Americans who are not in the wealthiest 1% of the U.S. population. Fred and Eli offer a little history you didn't learn in high school, some news stories you haven't seen on our mainstream media, and a couple of songs to help you join the resistance. Our website, classwars.org, offers a little background on how the few richest of our citizens lie to the rest of us to expand their power and wealth. Class wars is a dirty term in our media, which always implies that America is above such crudeness. But the very rich are not above that at all. They are sick with greed, of course, but so far the rest of us are what might be worse. We haven't organized yet to fight back. So gear up for some class wars every Sunday from 5 to 6 p.m. on the Progressive Radio Network. That's www.prn.fm. Stay tuned to prn.fm for more empowering ideas from progressive voices. We're moving forward, and we hope you're coming with us. Keep listening. You can't always get what you want. You can't always get what you want. So, welcome back. I'm John LaBelle. We're wrapping up our visionary show for the day. I'm going through some favorite books. So what I did was I printed out my audible.com library. And next one on my list is At the Existentialist Cafe, Freedom Being and Apricot Cocktails by Sarah Bakewell. I don't I don't have down here who's doing the reading, but this is a great reading. I really appreciate this book. Oh, also the reader of the Leonardo da Vinci book is really great. Who's the best reader of all time? Um, And I don't remember his name. It was a big article about him in the New York Times. But the guy who reads the Harry Potter books, does the audio Harry Potter books, really great. And he has to do, you know, dozens of characters. But anyway... Um, at the Existential Cafe is about existentialism. Who was Jean-Paul Sartre? And uh, who was Simone de Beauvoir? And what were they all about? And then uh, related, 
you could call it phenomenology, Merleau-Ponty, and then um, we don't know what to call him. He's just, he's Martin Heidegger. Um, he's sort of the granddaddy of the existentialists. And this book um, goes through all of them. So just to tell you how old I am, I started college in 1959. So that was a time when, you know, <laughs> you you were a black turtleneck and 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 smoked Galois, <laughs> which are very strong unfiltered cigarettes from France, and pretended you were in Le Dumago Cafe with uh, <laughs> with Jean Paul Sartre. So what this was all about, and this is a really good book. Um, you know, not only great presentations of these people intermingling their biographies with their ideas, but also about the time. And so, for example, right at the height of their most important writing, Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre were in occupied France. You know, they're in France. The war is threatening. Then the war happens. Then Paris becomes occupied. And... Uh, Sartre for a while as a prisoner of war. And <laughs> actually, he got captured. He had um, uh, bad eye problems. He was, was wall-eyed. And he said, I need to see an eye doctor. And they let him out, and he just walks away. Uh, doesn't go back, doesn't report back to the prison, but and goes back to Paris. And um, what was it like? What was it like being uh, French in Paris during the German occupation. Well, this book presents all of these beautifully. And, you know, there's, there was something about existentialism that it wasn't, it wasn't pleasant stuff. You know, do you want to be an existentialist? My, uh, my dorm mates would ask. And the thing is that I'm reading this stuff in the, <clears throat> the early 60s, late 50s and early 60s, when in the United States where things are pretty cool, uh, tail fins and everything, you know, uh, affluence and et cetera. But it was being written by in occupied France at a time when, you know, really frightening and miserable times in the middle of a war. So uh, when we read The Existentialists, we sort of have to be aware of that. And this book does a really good, um, a really good job of presenting that. So um, I'll just mention one more and then wrap up. Another great courses, The Secrets of Great Mystery and Suspense Fiction. So <clears throat> whether you read mysteries or aspire to write them, as I do, or actually write them, I sort of have a family tradition of that. My mother's father was a, a prominent mystery writer in the 1930s, 20s and 30s. And he wrote, uh, he and Dashiell Hammett each with a half a dozen pseudonyms would fill Black Cat and Black Mask magazine every every month. And, <clears throat> and my parents then wrote a mystery. I'll talk more about that on another show. But... Um, you know, what makes a mystery work? Who are the great mystery writers? And of course, it begins with Dupin. Um, um, 
and then goes on to Sherlock Holmes and, you know, the great detectives and and goes right up into contemporary mystery writing, some really cool stuff. So if you're in any way a mystery fan, highly recommended. And then one more, I'll talk more about it after I've read it. I haven't read it yet. But How the Universe Got Its Spots, Diary of a Finite Time in a Finite Space by Jana Levent. She's at, I think she's at Columbia University. So I hope to have her on eventually too. So let's wrap up. This is John LaBelle. This is Visionaries. We're on prn.fm every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern time, but it could be any time depending upon where you are in the world. And be sure to download our new app for your iPhone and Android. See you next week.